Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Yugambeh people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. My name's Nicole Bennett, and I'm an urban and regional planner. I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We're one of the host cities for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So let's take a minute from our busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode 22 for season two. And it's actually the 40th episode for this podcast. It's been 15 months of recording and releasing episodes and to achieve number 40 just feels pretty good. And it's a great testament to the amazing guests who have joined me for these episodes, giving up their time and sharing their knowledge and experience. A huge thank you to all of these past guests and a huge thank you to all the listeners who keep tuning in as each episode is released. And just a a small apology, it's become rather random these last few months. I haven't been achieving my weekly episode. I do apologize. It's just been hard to pin a few people down, which means my weekly rhythm is a little bit out of sync. But someone who I'm super pleased to have pinned down for this chat is Adam Beck. Adam is an urbanist who's worked for private sector consultancy and leading global non-government organizations to advance sustainable community outcomes for over 25 years. Adam is now the head of digital urbanism at AnyHub. He leads the company's efforts to continually consider what's next for connecting, activating and measuring urban life. Through two core programs, Live and Lab, Adam works with government and non-government customers and partners to accelerate best practice using the model define it, test it, refine it, deliver it, scale it. Adam was previously the executive director with the Smart City Council Australasia where he worked with the world's longest-running smart cities organisation focused on catalyzing action and investment in technology and data, all with the mission of accelerating livability, workability and sustainability. He was also the Executive Director at the Green Building Council of Australia, where he facilitated the creation of the Green Star Community Certification System for Sustainable Urban Development. Prior to entering this mission-driven sector, Adam also spent 15 years with global consultancy firms, including almost a decade with Arup. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. How are you today? Nicole, I'm well. Thanks for having me. No worries. I I really wanted to start with you where it all began and ask what sparked your interest in smart cities and then what has held your interest in this space because of out of all of the areas of urban planning and city shaping that you could select, why digital? Yeah, it, it's quite a uh, an interesting one. I, I, I never planned it really. I was moving back to Australia with my family after being in the US for three years, and I was working for a non-profit startup over there focused on community development, social equity and inclusion, um, district scale sustainability, neighbourhood scale sustainability. So a lot of good urban planning, social planning, sustainability things that have been part of my career from day one. And I came back to Australia and I was a little bit lost as to what I was going to do. My natural plan B was just always going to be consulting. 
and I'll do what I've kind of been doing for a long time. Mm. And a friend of mine who I would describe as a deep ecologist back in Portland who I kept in touch with had recently joined a technology company and it was just the most out of character thing that someone like that, he's got a PhD in mathematics and ecology, lovely guy, deep green thinker. And I said, how do you end up at a technology company? He said, well, we've tried everything to save the planet and reduce global warming. And I think it's time we really invest in the opportunity that digital and data might bring to helping save the planet. And I just found that so, mm. uh, I think, both inspiring, but also crazy at the same time. And that's when I kind of thought, yeah, digital and data, I've never really played in that in my sustainability career and maybe there's something in there and we got talking and you know then that led to where i ended up in sort of smart cities for six or so years so that's how it came about nicole it was kind of totally unplanned and it was all about trying to save the planet but don't tell anyone (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting because some of these tech giants you know you think of them as these money hungry profit making you know take what they can out of out of our society and you know it's interesting there's sort of this love-hate relationship that we have with some of these kind of digital and, and data platforms so uh, it's it's really great to have someone like yourself that's using it for good. And I hope that there's a, a huge momentum out there to use it for good rather than sort of some of the, the not so good things that we hear about the data and digital space. Yeah, and that's an unfortunate part of the journey of smart cities. It kind of originally came from a really good place. You know, let's mm. use tech and data to help save the planet, you know, enhance health opportunities and there was a lot of good intent behind it. And I suppose, you know, we have a a, a a media, you know, sort of suite of platforms out there that kind of really fight for, uh, fight for sort of eyeballs and clicks and mm. smart cities became a very common negative thing that sort of just many latched on to behind the scenes of course you know we tried to make sure that we were staying focused and it was about people it was about outcomes it was about sustainability the whole reason i got into it mm. and i and i think there's been incredible gains i think there's been incredible projects and uh award winning you know sort of outcomes um, mm. but you know every Every sort of journey has its bumps and it has its baggage and there's always haters, you know, that's just how it is, but you stay focused. Um, But I think COVID, Nicole, was a really Mm. interesting period of time when it came to digital and data because, you know, let's, let's call it what it is, Zoom and Microsoft Teams kept the Australian economy going. You know, if there was ever a time where we, we doubted big Mm. technology companies and, and, data um you know that's what that's what sort of in some way kept us together uh, kept the global so, economy ticking i would yeah, i would argue yeah yeah so um yeah i i still like to remain focused that that digital and data enablers can be a really powerful force for good i love it i'd love for you to talk to me about your time at the Smart Cities Council um, and just reflecting on that, what you're most proud of and and I guess what did you take from that experience? Wow. 
you know, no one's asked me to reflect on that sort of six, seven years of my career. So I, I appreciate the question. Um, I I was really proud that we were able to build a community. And when I started it, it was 2016 and I launched the Smart Cities Council with a bit of a website, a bit of a media release and kind of nothing else. Mm. And it was out there as an idea and kind of a lot of tire kickers. Mm, yeah, mm. Smart Cities, you know, read a few things, IBM's promoting that and Cisco and things like that. So it was, it was, it was certainly not proven. There, there wasn't a huge, big sort of rush to it, but I think there was enough there to bring people together and have a conversation. And, and that's what we ended up doing. So I was very, I was very proud with the fact that from nothing, you know, we, we got a community together. Um, mm. The Smart Cities Council, you know, is a membership-based organisation, so building members. And I think we were able to work with government in constructive ways. We saw some pretty good policy. 2016, 17, 18, you know, $50 million Smart Cities and Suburbs grant from the federal government. We've still got the New South Wales government um, pushing forward on great policy and funding around smart places. So I, I think we were able to certainly have some influence there with government. And of course, last year was was the big win, which I think was probably one of the biggest wins in that Infrastructure Australia in developing the Australia Infrastructure Plan really started to talk about this idea of digital by default. You know, we're a nation that builds a lot of things. We we were world leaders in building stuff in Australia, in Queensland. And to, to get the idea of digital by default on the table that we can start thinking about not only investing in bricks and mortar and steel and glass, but also investing in great digital connectivity and the the infrastructure needed to allow data to flow and for insights to be consumed. I think that was a great, uh, that was a great win. So a couple of things there that, yeah, I'd look back on and say I'm proud of. Yeah, no, and it was just fantastic work seeing everything that you were doing through that Smart Cities Council and and uh, and you've got a lot to be proud of. So I do thank you for that. And and just even my own journey, you know, in, in understanding what the potential of data and digital is in urban planning, you know, um, some of the forums and, and information that the Smart Cities Council put out there were really beneficial. So um, thank you from me and from thank everyone you. else thank you. that has has um, benefited from your time there. Um, and you've recently taken up the role at Any Hub. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. And I mean, I heard I heard some of it at the PIA conference in Mackay, where we heard about your light pole of many uses. <laughs> yes. um, but in Googling Any Hub and, and following you on LinkedIn closely, I can see that you have um, some really um, exciting work and I'd love for you to talk me through kind of where you see digital urbanism sort of heading with any hub and, and sort of what you're bringing to your clients yeah it, it's a it's a real kind of fascinating journey um, and it started with hub which was the first company and hub still exists and hub was founded 20 22 years ago and its purpose in life was and is to design great public place furniture and infrastructure, benches, 
bollards, picnic shelters, and there's just no more wholesome infrastructure in a city than, in my mind, public place infrastructure that really serves a purpose. And Hub, like you know, many other companies, you know, designed and manufactured and deployed public place furniture. And light poles are one of those. We need light, you know, light up at night. And it was 10 years ago this year that Enerhub was born. And the big idea there was that LED lighting was becoming more economical. And LED lighting, which reduces consumption of energy, better for greenhouse gas emissions, better operational maintenance for local authorities. We thought, you know, there's no better thing to continue to do than to help, you know, place managers, you know, local councils and land authorities provide great public place infrastructure and the more efficient it could be, um, the be- the better it is. You know, the public place is very expensive to maintain. It's a big mm. budget item for local authorities from an operational perspective. So 10 years ago, we thought our light poles will put LED luminaires in them and it'll be a great proposition. So Enerhub was born, Enerhub standing for Energy Hub. And um, it just went out of control after that. You know, just as we're putting LED luminaires in a street pole, 4G telecommunications started to sort of mm. play a role and we had to start bringing 4G infrastructure into the public realm. And just as that was happening, local councils wanted public Wi-Fi. And just as that was happening, the Internet of Things was really gaining pace and we could sense temperature and rain and wind and humidity. And then after that, CCTV cameras and back-end analytics become, became more mature and we could start counting things that moved, whether it be with cameras or other sensors. So we could start counting pedestrians on the sidewalk, e-scooters and cars. And so once you start collecting data, you then need to sort of get into the data game and you need to be able to provide your client with data. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, our smart poles do 32 different things now, digital wayfinding, electric vehicle charging. So so, so it, it's it's quite incredible how public realm infrastructure has evolved as digital mm. connectivity has advanced. And, uh, you know, in this role, I really have been able to bring together my, my two most passionate things in life, which is place, you know, and people and this very rapidly evolving digital and data world. And um, and a hub is at the real pointy end of it, designing it, putting it in the ground. And we have long-term infrastructure agreements with councils and land authorities all over the country. And we get to spend the next 15, 20 years of our agreements helping them work through the benefit and value of this digital infrastructure. And it's going to evolve. I mean, 10 mm-hmm. years ago, the light pole did one thing. Mm-hmm. We're doing we're doing 32 things with it now, and it's like, well, what's the next 10 years going to be? So I, I really love the most analog of analog, a bench, a pole, yeah. with the most high-tech digital data-enabled stuff and smashing that together. I I, I just love it, and um, it's, it's early days, and I'm really excited as to how the – the planning and urban design and landscape architecture profession in Australia is going to really be able to, you know, hang out more and more with, you know, the, the 5G people and the IoT people and just make awesome communities. 
and public places. So that's kind of my job. That, that's the neighbourhood of what my job is, I think. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's so it's so interesting because I think you referenced COVID earlier and if COVID's taught us anything, it's now we work from anywhere, you know, and the simple kind of park bench, you know, which once was sort of something that might have been a refuge, you know, when you're just sort of going for a walk and want to take a rest could now be literally the place that you choose to work from for the day. Um, and with the sort of infrastructure that you could embed in those simple pieces of infrastructure to make them have the capability for people to really use them for any purpose that they want. You know, you could imagine them having, yeah, Wi-Fi, you know, the ability to plug something in, you know, I don't know what else is possible, but um, yeah. I remember at the at the conference, uh, <laughs> I remember someone poking fun a little bit saying, can't you just have a, you know, a, an electric scooter charging dock off your light pole of many uses? <laughs> you know, so I imagine your 32 things could easily be a list of 132 things. Yeah, that, that's right. And I mean, I don't design our products. We have a whole industrial design team that does that. But there is a inner hub design ethos that the, the, the physical products, um, first and foremost, respect the public realm. You know, they that they look good, um, they, they fit within the, the landscape and, and the urban context, um, whilst providing more and more activating services you know for place managers so th there's a real ongoing design challenge there make the stuff look better poles mm. get get sl more slender but fit more in it because we mm. try and that was the big design shift for us a number of years ago rather than hanging all this gear off a pole let's get it on the inside and we sort of innovated that so that continues to be a real you know product design drive for us and i think what's nice is you can still buy a pole that does one thing shine light we all need that mm. but local councils and land authorities now have options and mm. you know this this does jar with a number of people like we should go to parks just to hang out you know we've got mm. an overconnected lifestyle you know like this is mm. this is not good that we bring all this digital into our sacred public places you know which we need to just chill out in and it's like mm. well we've got options you know we've got options and and you know we've got a we've got a you know a highly connected sort of community and world and economy and i was i was at an event on wednesday and i said hands up who wants worse connectivity you know and, and no hands go up you know so <laughs> but we're kind of in a really connected world mm. and we, we just want to be able to have options now. And um, I like that challenge of making sure that our public places are still places of respite. We can connect with nature. Kids can play. You've got little ones. I had little ones for years. And mm. like every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning, like it was, it was just religion, you know, mm. head to the local park, you know, and yep. what's the next best park? Which one haven't we been to? So our mm. public places and parks are just sacred Mm. particularly here in southeast Queensland with the climate, and we love it. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that, you know, we can't, as you say, hang out there and work, you know, have a laptop and, you know, run a company, you know, from a park bench, you know, down on the Gold Coast. I think it's uh, it, it's a win-win it's, it's in this global digital economy. I, that's why I love the, the analogue and the digital coming together.
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're so right. I mean, there is this kind of, there's still a bit of fear and we sort of spoke about that at the beginning, that there's kind of the the good and the bad that comes with digital. But I think that, you know, it's inevitable. It, it's We're all so connected. Wi-Fi has made that we do go to the park and we are on our phones. You know, it's not like mm. we currently aren't connected at the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I often take my laptop down to the playground and, and let the kids, you know, I know it's half an hour that I'll be able to just do a little <laughs> bit extra work. Um, and, you know, if I could if I could extend that because of the battery life of my laptop time, yeah. then I think that would only be a good thing. So, look, um. I think it's very interesting. I can understand that people have have concerns and reservations, and we just sort of need to keep working through those to to try and make sure that people do feel secure. Um, look, I, I have one final question for you, and it, it we might have already covered it a little bit in in that answer, but I'm really interested to find out what you think is holding us back from embracing digital technologies in the built environment. Um, and so I guess, you know, if you could have one wish <laughs> for government or, or other players to kind of implement or take note of or really start doing differently, what would it be? That's a great question because it goes to the real important point of, you know, as you say, what's holding us back? Why aren't we trying to exploit this opportunity for good mm. more and more? The or all... all all paths lead to people when it comes to digital and data uh, with respect to scaling, replicating, investing, embracing. All uh, all, all roads lead back to people. Mm. What, what I think I've, uh, where I think I've landed on this is that maybe we've tried to get everything right. And this is going to be I don't want this to be put out of context either. You know, there's just some fundamentals that we've got to get right, like privacy and security, and we've got good guidelines and that that shouldn't be happening. But I, I think we've at, we've at times been scared that we're not mm. going to get it right. Um, I think we have also the legacy of those big IT projects, you know, the big enterprise IT projects that always run over budget, that are always risky, that always cost yep. more. Yep. Right. We've sort of got that baggage as well. Mm. But when it comes to data, which we have so much of before we even collect another bite, mm. we can just pull it out and start working with it and start asking strategic questions and start overlaying it. I mean, you know, we've had GIS out in the world for 40 years. We we kind of know how to use technology tools and play with data. So I, I feel that sometimes we've tried to get things perfect and it's and you can never get it perfect so i feel like we're at a place where we just got to try stuff mm. you know have guardrails and embrace best practice and standards and guidelines but let's try stuff and and sort of learn as opposed to trying to get it perfect and then it's not and we fear there could be great risk and then we go nowhere and we don't do it and that's when sort of things go bad or wrong or sideways so I think the thing that's holding us back is our willingness to kind of give it a go and have a few sort of, you know, tests and tastes of what it might bring as opposed to always trying to aim for perfection because we're never going to get there. No, and it, it feels like a moving feast, which we know it is. You know, it's well, almost well, yeah, like... Yeah, that's the it, challenge, right? You wake up yeah. every morning and there's 3,000 new things 
it's yeah. like, oh, okay, well, I'll wait, well, I'll wait till tomorrow. Yeah. So that's another thing. You know, the next best one's always coming. So um, yeah. it, 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 it's hard. It's hard. But it's, it's a people issue. It's our willingness to engage, be ready, ask strategic questions. We don't all have to be experts in it. But yeah. Let's ask sensible questions, you know. Let's make sure that it's authentic. There's a line of sight to an outcome or a target. And that's another thing as well. We often jump into digital and data with no line of sight to a clear target. And yeah, this, this is where we need to just be bold and have an ambition and reduce this or maximise that, have a number, have a target. Let's sort of see if digital and data can help us get there quicker, cheaper, with, with bigger, bigger bang for buck. I love it. I think that's a great note, note to leave on today, Adam. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great getting to know you and learning all about the important work you have done and are continuing to do. So thank you. Thanks so much, Nicole. And thank you for tuning in to the Hustle & Bustle podcast this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review so that others find out about the show. You can follow us on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast and LinkedIn too. That's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.